0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour History. I'm your host, Professor Natalie Harpin. I actually saw a movie trailer for a film coming out that's called The Woman King. It's supposed to come out September 16th of this year, and it is starring and also produced by Viola Davis, and she's the star of the show. She's oh excuse me, she's the star of the film. She's playing Nanisca who is one of the Dahomean Amazon warriors, as they were called. So I thought I would talk a little bit about some brief history of that group, because I think that if you have seen the trailer, you may have been wondering, well, you know, what group is this supposed to be? What's the history of the group? And if you haven't seen the trailer, when you do, you may wonder that. It actually looks like it's going to be a pretty... Good movie, and Viola Davis is, you know, one of the best actresses that we have living. So I know it's going to be a great performance. And so I want to talk about the history of the group that she's going to be portraying as you know, a member of the group she's portraying, and also some of the analysis of what that means for you know the, the real world. Because I just did an episode a few weeks ago about mammification, and this actually kind of ties in with that, and I'll explain why. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Dahomey was a regional area in Western Africa that is largely known in History, a historical sense, because of its role in the transatlantic slave trade. So that was one of the main hubs where enslaved Africans would be shipped out of West Africa from the area known as Dahomey. And That is why most people have probably heard it. So you may have heard it mentioned in a class or lecture about the slave trade within Africa um, for the people who were stolen from rival rival groups within the continent and the interior brought to coastal Regions and territories because they weren't always, you know, the same bordered countries like today or even the same cities. So that's why I'm saying that they were brought to these coastal hubs and regions, and then they were shipped on the middle passage or the second passage as it's sometimes called across the Atlantic to the New World. Okay, so interestingly enough, the Dahomeyan female army, even though there's sort of you know, different accounts for when it got started. No one's really sure. And historians differ on when it got started, but it seems like it may have been formed in the 17th century. So that would be the 1600s, generally around the time that the kingdom of Dahomey was founded by Dako, I think it's pronounced, D-A-K-O. So this would be around 1625. And so there was a group of women who were the warriors who would protect the king and also were known for their fierceness in battle. And so historically speaking, it seems like women were able to be in the palace precincts after dark where males were, excuse me, men were not allowed to be. So there is some speculation that that is why you had a female bodyguard service essentially formed, because they could move through the kingdom in a way, and the palace in a way that men could not, because men would have been seen as a, maybe a threat to overthrow the king. But it's also interesting that it seems like the women who were a part of these, a part of this, you know, military group whose job it was to protect the king, were technically his wives. So some accounts say that these women were technically married to him, but that they did not have a sexual relationship to him. So they were married to him as a way to solidify their allegiance and their... um I'm trying to think of the word. Their allegiance and the expectation that they would protect him because, you know, of their skill in battle, but that they were not people who would necessarily bear children for him. So I'm actually kind of interested to see how the film handles that, because we know that a lot of Hollywood productions tend to include sexual scenarios and sex scenes. So it'll be interesting to see if they in their, you know, epic retelling of this actual historical group, because I'm sure it's not all going to be based in history, it'll be interesting to see what the relationship of the women is to the king that they're supposed to be serving. So, like I said, they were formally technically married to the king. Now, there are European accounts of these women because, of course, for those of you who may not have heard previous podcasts or hadn't learned in a history type class, different African kingdoms and regional areas within the continent had been trading with European regional areas and groups for centuries. Okay. So it's not, seafaring trade was not new to The world and was certainly not new to the coastal areas of Africa in the 17th century or even in the 15th. Different African groups had been trading with European groups, had been trading with Asian groups. So that includes China, India. They had been doing sea coast trade and even land trade, right? But for centuries. So they had contact with each other. So European groups had come into contact with the Dahomeyan warriors and with the Dahomey Kingdom, but they had not necessarily begun to export enslaved peoples yet, right, until in the case of, like, you know, Portugal and Spain would have been the, really the 16th century would have seen that, no, I'm sorry, the 16th? Yeah, the 16th century and especially into the 17th century, you would have had that slave trade that we're familiar with and that you're familiar with take off then. But there are accounts that there had been, you know, trade in the 9th century, in the 10th century between these different continental groups of people. So the process for these women to become soldiers within the army was actually very intensive there are accounts where they had to climb a wall of thorns and basically show no pain like they weren't allowed to showcase the pain on their face and like i said they were known for being extremely fierce warriors and fierce in battle and able to conceal their emotions when it came to fighting And it seems like they became official members of the group once they had made their first kill officially after their training. So around the time that the film is supposed to take place would be the late 19th century, so in the 1880s. And like I said, Viola Davis is playing the role of Naniska, which was one of the written accounts by written accounts, of course, by Europeans, was one of these female soldiers from Dahomey. And so the French were technically interested in taking over the area. Now, by the time we get to the 18, the late 1800s, like I said, the region of Dahomey had already been used for a century or two by then as a main hub for the slave trade. And it's, I've read before, but I can't find the source and I've been looking for it, that there are some accounts that these Dahomeyan warriors would also have been responsible for trafficking and, you know, for finding and then trafficking other African groups of people to sell to European traders, right? Through their port. And the major port in Dahomey was Porto Novo. So if you think about it, by the time we get to the 1880s, it makes sense that France would be trying to colonize the area because they've already been extracting people for the purpose of you know, using them in their colonies in the Americas, they've been doing business with them, they've been trading with them likely for, you know, well, they have been trading with them for hundreds of years, but now it's not on terms of we need you, it's on terms of we're going to now colonize this continent, we're not gonna just use you as the agents of sale for other groups of people. And that kind of goes with the very important part to discuss lineage, right? That when you look at the transatlantic slave trade, and just slavery as a concept in general, just like with ancient Greece, just like in ancient Rome, etc, people, and even amongst you know Native Americans, native indigenous people in the Americas in general, within this you know the now North and South America. These people aren't all the same people. They don't view themselves as the same people just because now, you know, we lump them all together in macro racial groups. So natives did enslave other natives, Africans enslaved other Africans, Asians enslaved other Asians. Europeans didn't really enslave each other. But the point is that most other groups, well, excuse me, Europeans didn't enslave each other once they became like a unified, not a unified Europe, but more in the modern era for Europe. So prior to that, like I said, in ancient Greece or Rome, technically they would have enslaved other Europeans. But like I said, that practice sort of moved, they moved away from that practice as we get into the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. So the film seems like it's going to take place during the Franco-Dahomean Wars, and there were two of them, but the first one started in 1890, and so, like I said, it'll be really cool to see how they, you know, use the historical part and also sort of, you know, create a movie plot out of it, because, like I said, most things are not fully historical, even when they're based on historical Events, even when they're based on people who existed in real life and groups that have a real history in the U.S. Something else I thought was interesting was that apparently, the for those of you who saw Black Panther, one of my favorite characters in the film was Okoye, who is one of the warriors for Wakanda. And that was an all-female warrior group, if you remember from the film. So that group was also based on and fashioned after this Dahomeyan um, warrior female group, which I thought was interesting. But again, being a descendant of enslaved peoples in the United States, and of course, like a child of the diaspora, because most of us who were brought to this hemisphere as our ancestors were enslaved, it's sort of, it's like two ends, right? From a historical standpoint, I can understand that they likely would have been responsible for trafficking my ancestors, right? Because we would likely, we would not have been from their groups if they helped enslave us. I hope that makes sense. Because again, they're not the same peoples. Yes, they're all technically Africans, but they have different tribes and communities, etc. So from that perspective, you know, I was like, Well, am I going to be able to enjoy the film right? Because I typically don't tend to side with people who have been on the oppressing end of my people. but on the other hand, from a you know from a historical point, it is really cool that they're making a film that focuses on this group and how they did fight off colonization, but like I said of course, as a historian and, you know, hindsight, many centuries later, it's easy to look back and say, well, what did you expect, right? Like, if they were using you to broker the sale of other people, eventually it was, they were going to become your problem. The French were going to become your problem because, you know, they don't see you as equals. They don't see you as somebody who they want to just have a mutually beneficial trade relationship with now, especially by the late 1800s, now that race had already been well-established in the um, in the colonies in the Americas in the 1600s, now that they've been operating from a system of creating social castes based on race in the new world and also perpetuating that in their relationships with people who they did used to view on terms of equality because they have now considered these people different races it makes sense that they would want to colonize Asia, colonize Africa. And that's something that I've talked before. But I did a podcast about Zheng He, who is a Chinese navigator and admiral. But other groups did not subjugate others, other people in the same way. So they had done trade with other people, but they were not trying to colonize or dominate them. Europeans really are the ones who were who you know did trade again with people on terms of equality for a very long time mixed in with people you know were creating interracial relationships and family networks and things like that because race as a concept did not exist yet and the social rules surrounding who you could and could not be with were not as established at that time however um Europeans were really responsible for making, for shifting that to their financial benefit, especially after they got their foot strongly into the new world, and the French are no exception for that. Most of the time when I've talked about the transatlantic trade and also social caste, I have focused on the English and Spanish slash Portuguese. And I say Spanish slash Portuguese because, of course, these are two different nations of people, but they were operating together under the papacy, right? So underneath the Pope and the Catholic Church. And so I usually focus on the English Portuguese and Spanish. I haven't really focused on the French, but the French were largely important in that, you know, colonial matrix as well. Okay, so now I think we should talk about some of the pushback that we may see as a result of the film given that yes it is a, it is a historically based film that is taking place in the 19th century, but that still has very real ramifications for the 21st century. Now what I'll say is this. Like I said, I just did a podcast a few weeks ago about mammification. At least from the trailer, it looks like most of these women are unambiguously identifiable as black women. They are brown and dark-skinned women. We know that historically speaking, brown and dark-skinned women have been portrayed as being very hardened, masculine, and tough, right? This film also plays into that, because historically speaking, this is a group of people who were warriors, a group of women who were warriors, so they would have had to be hardened and seasoned in battle. I think that if we lived in a country where black women still were not being subjected to state violence and we were able to have other roles and a balance of roles where we were seen as not always just the the warrior strong trope, right? Like the mammy archetype, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, then I don't think that a lot of people would be potentially as upset about the media representation. And I hope that I'm making sense. Now, I'm trying to think of like how I want to say this because it is very important to be mindful of the words that I'm using, right? Especially because I am like again firmly within that like brown skin, dark skin, black female grouping, right? Identifiably black. Um, I think that there are going to be people who are going to push back against the media imagery because we still have excessive violence done on women. There are still black women. There are still medical students who believe that black women feel less pain. There are still doctors who believe that black women experience less pain or that we should be able to Suffer through more pain than other races of women. The black maternal death rate continues to be high. There's already been discussions about how the black matricide rate, so the rate of deaths among people who kill black women who are pregnant with children, is going to increase because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade in many of the states that it has been overturned in. And again, I think that in cinema, in the modern context, the fact that we don't often see brown and dark-skinned women positioned as the desirable lead, the focus of you know affection or adoration, the standard of beauty, the central figure in any films, there's not a balance for that representation. And it's too bad, I can say, that as great as the movie is for representation and for historical telling, that it still does play into that idea that brown and dark-skinned women are, you know, we're all tough, we're all strong, and we're all ready to kick ass because those things really do have real consequences in the real world for people who still see us as Invincible to the point where they are extremely hard with us physically. When you think about police officers assaulting women, especially assaulting black women because they say, oh, well, you know, they're resisting or, you know, they're tough. Well, I didn't hurt them, right? Or thinking that they have to be excessive with us because, you know, somehow we have superhuman strength more so than, you know, people with lighter complexions. And also, like I said, with, you know, the the statistics regarding matricide and medical racism and things like that. It's very important to acknowledge. And if you do hear backlash against it, to not necessarily think that it's unfounded, right? It's not unfounded, but it's too bad that we don't live in a more balanced society so that we can just enjoy the film for the representation that it does give. If that makes sense. So, I just wanted to do a quick podcast about that because, like I said, I saw the trailer and I was really excited for the film because I love Viola Davis and I'm a historian, so I love history. But on the other hand, I understand and acknowledge that as a brown, dark skinned black woman, that, you know, this just sort of fits into the 21st century idea that we're not you know, just normal people who have normal experiences, that we have to be seen as hyper masculinized. Because even if you look at the history of this group, this group of warriors were hyper masculinized and part of their initiation was that they sort of became men in battle. So you see what I mean? It sort of plays into that, even though it doesn't mean to, right? Because it's a historically based film. So I'm still going to support the film. I'm still going to go watch it. I'm likely going to offer extra credit for my students this fall who go see it because I think it's very important to support black film and because this is, you know, being produced by black people in film, I think it's important to go watch it anyway. It's not being, you know, peddled to us by people who are from without the community or who are not from within the community. I think that's very important. But I also wanted to talk about just, you know, sort of if you do see some pushback to it, just to give you a little bit of context for why that may be and what some people's, you know, what some of their lens is going to be when they see that imagery because it it can be triggering for a lot of us because, like I said, it just fits into the narrative that we're always, that's always painted about us as a group of people. So I hope that the rest of you, hope all of you have a great rest of your day. I hope that you have a great rest of your evening if it's nighttime. And I'll see you on the next episode of Happy Hour History. Don't forget the film comes out on September 16th. Have a great one. Bye.